Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the chance to come before your word and continue to learn from you, continue to be shaped by you, continue to be um, chastened and rebuked and edified and encouraged and molded into the image of Christ. God, we pray that um, what we do in this moment would be um, pleasing to you, that it would be honoring to your kingdom, that it would be truthful to your heart, and that it would be um, beneficial for the advancement of your kingdom. God, we long to be a part of something more than just our own uh, small sphere. We long to be a part of your kingdom in a great and mighty way, not for our name's sake, but for yours, for your glory, and especially for your glory among all nations. Bless this time to that ends. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. This morning we come to our, our fourth and final week on this series, Loving Our Neighbor and the Nations, where we've been focusing on the third part of our, our mission statement, advancing the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and as we do, I, I recognize that for, for many of us in our day-to-day -day lives, uh, the idea of, of missions in faraway places feels very literally removed a long way from your day-to-day -day lives. It's not maybe something that you are interacting with on a daily basis, maybe not something on the forefront of your minds. And so uh, I've considered this week, especially as we've kind of drawn this to a close, uh, about how many times our, our minds and hearts are much more focused on the other things just going on in your life. That as we for three weeks have been up here talking about uh, God's heart for the people around you and to all ends of the earth, many of you, you, know, you nobody has come up to me and said, I disagree with global missions and advancing the kingdom in all nations. Nobody has said that to me, but at the same time, I just know that our day-to-day -day lives just get busy, and this just isn't at the forefront of your minds. Uh, Amber and I, for, uh, we got this from somebody, I'm, I'm sure, but we, we call this month Maycember, because December is crazy for all the normal reasons, but for whatever reason, between Mother's Day and graduates and the end of school and the way our sports and extracurriculars all just kind of line up in May, May is just a busy month. And maybe May is not any more busy for you than normal, but just your normal life is busy enough by itself. But for some of you, I know it's not just the busyness, it's the, the stresses, the strains, the health concerns, the, the different dynamics that are going on, and you just have a lot going on. And so the idea of the gospel going forth in Turkey or Iraq or Saudi Arabia just isn't something you're thinking about. You're thinking about, how do I make it to tomorrow? <laughs> how do I make it to the end of the month? How do we survive this thing going on? And so if you are praying, and I pray you are praying, you're praying about those things first and foremost. You're praying for God's blessing and God's favor just to make it through your exam this week or to have that conversation with your coworker you're not looking forward to, whatever it is in front of you. You're asking for God's blessing on you. That's primarily what we're thinking about, first and foremost. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually where the psalm starts that, just, that Henry just read for us. Psalm 67, let's just start where the psalm starts. It starts this way. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. What, what a beautifully and well-crafted blessing and prayer and request. This is a, a rephrasing of a blessing that God told Aaron to give to the people. So Aaron, the priest, during the Israelite part of coming out of Egypt. And 
he, he, was one of the, he was the first priest, and so he, he prayed this prayer of blessing. We're gonna, the, our closing song from today comes from that, that blessing. And it was a, a sign or, or a request for the gracious blessing of God. We, we need that day by day, do we not? Apart from God's grace, apart from His favor, we would have no good gifts. We would struggle just to make it our next breath apart from God's blessing. We need His grace. We need His blessings. That's what sustains us. And then we have this beautiful image of God's, that His face would shine upon us. That is, that's a description of God's favor, that He is not looking at you with some scowl. We don't, we don't want Him to be disappointed with us or disgusted with us. We're asking that God's face would shine, would radiate upon us, that it would be a blessing, that God would be a blessing on us. That's what Aaron prayed over the people. That's what Psalm 67 starts with, asking for this blessing, asking for God to bless us. And for many of us, whether it just be busyness or struggles or heartaches or pains, we need that. We need the favor of God. We need God's blessing, and we recognize our dependence on Him. Praise God that this is in His Word, that we are invited to ask those things of Him. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, If you who are evil know how, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in he, who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? It's good to ask God for favor. James even tells us every good and perfect gift is from God, from above. So if you, any good thing you have is from God. It's a good thing to ask. It's a sign of faith that you trust that God isn't the one in control of your favor. God isn't the one in control of your circumstances when you pray and ask Him for those things. It's, it's worse not to pray and ask, because that means you think you can do it all by yourself. It's a good and holy and righteous thing to ask for God's favor upon your life. Just so long as you make it to verse 2 in Psalm 67, not just verse 1. The challenge I want to give to you today is not to not ask for God's blessing upon you. <laughs> Did you get that double negative? Did you follow that? I do. It's good. Ask for God's blessing upon you. But here's what I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to connect verse 1 to verse 2. And I, and I think that this challenge could be transformational in your life if, if this is new to you, if you're not already there. If your heart is not already connecting these two verses, this connection just might change the whole way you look at life. Verse 1, Psalm 67, May God be gracious to us, and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that, verse 2 says, that, or so that, or in order that, or for the purpose of, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among the nations. Bless us, I pray, God, so that all the nations would know just how great you are. The reason this could transform your life is that we recognize all the favor, all the blessings. God's heart is not for them to, those blessings to stop with us. Yes, God wants to bless His children and has blessed His children in innumerable ways. And He has a greater purpose than just the blessing upon you. He wants those blessings to be multiplied as they are sent through you to others. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we pray, pleading with God, please bless us. And what you do when we receive God's favor is that then we have the opportunity for an even greater blessing when we give that blessing away. We are blessed in order to be 
a blessing. Be gracious to us so that His name, His power, His salvation could be known to the ends of the earth. Today, I, I want to convince you to see that the blessings God has given to you are for you and, both and, and they are for others. It's both. That if we receive God's blessings and just hoard them to ourselves, then we've, we've missed half or more. We've missed the heart of what God's intending. We have call, are called to be a blessing with the blessings God has given us. Or I might word it this way for, for us today as we dive into this whole psalm. Our blessings are for the nation's joy. Our, bless, our blessings are for the nation's joy. God blesses His children that we may carry His message to the nations. This month we've been using as a background image this picture uh, from the Oculus in New York City, which is a concourse a uh, transit hub there where over a million people travel, use that space to come in and go out of to all different places. A million people a week come through there. And we've said this is a good metaphor for the church. It's not the only function of the church, but one of our functions is that we gather together in order to be sent out. People don't come to the Oculus in New York City and then set up a tent there and camp out there for a week. I'm sure the police would throw them out if they did, right? You come there, you gather for a short little while, and you don't roll out your sleeping bag. No, you get on another form of transportation to go somewhere else, whether local or internationally. We, as a church, we gather together in order to be sent out, in order to be commissioned to your schools, to your jobs, to all nations of the earth, carrying the gospel with you. That's what we gather to do. And it could be said that this is the same, a similar metaphor for the way God pours out His blessings. God pours His blessings into a concourse. He gives them to people that are gathered for, for a purpose, for a time, but He does not intend for them to sleep there. He intends for them to carry those blessings on planes and trains and cars and boats and whatever else it may be to all ends of the earth. We, God has poured out His blessings into concourses, not into caves. We are meant to send them out, not hoard them to ourselves. Or to change the image slightly, God's blessings are meant to go through an Amazon distribution center, not into a self-storage unit. We quoted this, we used that image back when we did, I uh, looked it up, uh, the Eighth Commandment, which is do not steal. We talked about uh, last, last year, over a year ago, uh, how God's grace, His favor comes to us in order that it may be shared with others, right? So that so it'd be disobeying the heart of the Eighth Commandment to hoard. We are meant to be generous, not hoarders. Our, and so it is for the blessings. God blesses us. He shows favor to us that we may send it out to the ends of the earth. And this is not unique to Psalm 67, of course. This is all through the Bible and God's heart. All the way back in Genesis 12, God promised one man, Abram, who later became Abraham. He said, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's God's heart. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, but it's not just about you. I'm going to bless you so that all the families, all different ethnic groups, all different groups all around the world could be blessed. God's intention, His plan, His promise was that the blessings to all nations would come through His children. That He would use His people, bless them and encourage them and keep them close to Him so that His message would make it to the ends of the earth. God repeated those same promises to Isaac and Jacob and on and on through. And even after the exile, God told His people, Isaiah 49, 6, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. It's not just about the 12 tribes here. It's bigger than this, He says. I will make you as a light 
for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is God's heart all the way through the Bible, is that He longs to show His love, His blessing, His favor upon people from every tribe, every nation, every language. And the way He does that is by pouring His blessing on His children that they may carry it forward. This is God's heart. We, we pray, Psalm 67, like, like this, all the Psalms, they're, they're prayers. They're songs, they're, they're poems, but they are prayers. And this song is praying, this psalm is praying for God to accomplish the very things He has promised to accomplish. God told Abraham way back in Genesis 12, and so the psalmist is crying out, God, do what you've promised to do. I, I want to be aligned with your heart, God, I want my heart to match your heart. You long to bless all the nations. That's what I want to do it through us. That's what he's praying. He said, what you, what you promised to Abraham, I want to be a part of that. I, I'm one of your children. I know you, God. And so I'm praying that you would continue to bless me so that I can bless all the nations. He's praying to be lined up with God's heart. And I'm praying today that we would be lined up with his heart as well. To line up our heart, I, I want you to see clearly how Psalm 67, this, this progression to go from, from our blessings to the joy of the nations. I, I want you to see that. Uh, I've mapped it in your bulletin in, in three, a three-step process. We're going to start and end with this, that our blessings are for the nation's joy. But I want you to see that I, I'm not just throwing some good words in there that sounded good to me. You know? I want you to see where, where we got this right out of Psalm 67. So this is the progression. It starts with this. We are blessed so that others may know God. It starts there, right? It starts with being blessed so that others may know God. Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth. So we're blessed so that information, a story, good news can be transferred from us as we proclaim that message to other people. That His way may be known on the earth. And what is His name? What is His, his way? What is, how, what is known about Him? that your saving, power, your saving power among all nations. The Lord is a Lord of salvation, is He not? He is the God who has brought salvation to His people. When the psalmist knew this, the psalmist knew incredible stories of salvation, did he not? Take all the way back to Genesis. Take just Jacob being delivered from Esau, a brother that had every right to revenge and take his life. And yet God spared Jacob. Take the story of Joseph, number last big section of the book of Genesis. And time and time again, the Lord is with Joseph, protecting him from Potiphar and Potiphar's wife and all kinds of people in prison and Pharaoh himself. God saved Joseph. Or turn the page into Exodus and you read about how Pharaoh has made a plan to kill all the Israelite children, but there is one little baby whose life is preserved on the Nile River, Moses, as he is rescued out of a little basket by Pharaoh's own daughter. God is the God of salvation. Just a few chapters later, God uses that baby and through him rescues not just one more person, but hundreds of thousands of people as he delivers an entire nation out of Egypt and brings them out of Egypt into the wandering in the desert. He then saves those people like every day, time and time and time again, even though they have sinned against him. It goes on and on. Take prophets like the prophet Ezekiel who was starving and God fed him. He saved him by bringing food through ravens and giving it to him by day by day. Take the prophet Daniel, whose life should have been shredded to bits by 
by lions, and yet God saved him in the lion's den. Take Jonah, who was cast overboard in a storm that surely should have killed him, and yet God used an incredible way to save him by swallowing him by a giant fish and spitting him out on dry land. Is it not true that our God is the God of salvation? His saving power should be known among all nations. And if the psalmist knew that, how much more should we? Because we live on this side of a cross and an empty tomb. God didn't just rescue His people through plagues and deliverance out of Egypt and babies on baskets and lions and whales and all those kind of things. God rescued His people by paying for the sin they should have paid for. God saved us from the punishment we deserved, from the eternal wrath we should be inheriting by pouring out that wrath on His own Son in the greatest act of love in all of human history. He took on the wrath. He absorbed His wrath in His Son and then defeated the grave by resurrecting on the third day. God has accomplished our salvation and that is a story, that is a salvation, that is good news that should be known not just your next door neighbor, but your next door neighbor too, but to all ends of the earth. His way, His saving power should be known to all ends of the earth. Please God bless us so that we have the means to tell this story, to proclaim the gospel to all nations. We are blessed so other people may know God. Do you know God? Do you know His saving power? Because you cannot share what you do not have. You cannot give what you have not yourself received. And so we pray that you have received the saving power of God, that you have come to know God. If you don't know God's saving power, we invite you to repent, to have a, a change of heart and mind given to you by God to turn away from your sins and turn to the living God, to a greater life, a greater joy than ever before. And it comes by faith, believing in that accomplishment on the cross for you. And if you know that salvation, share it. Share it with the world. Part of the reason you are saved, God's intention, God's plan, is so that you can receive it and share it with those around you. We are blessed so that others may know God. Verse 2 tells us more, uh, tells us about knowing God's saving power, but verse 4 goes on to describe Him in even greater lengths. It says we know that God judges with equity. This is good news for the nations. So many people in different religions around the world have a God who just loves one group of people or one type of people. Our God does not judge people based on race or intelligence or height or beauty or money or any other prejudice. Praise God that He says you're all guilty of sin and all kinds of people can be rescued from their sin by faith in Jesus Christ. He is a just judge. He is not persuaded or, 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 or um, changed His mind by prejudices. Verse 4 adds that He guides the nations upon the earth. The Lord guides every nation. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and He turns it wherever He wills. God told King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, The Most High rules the kings of men, and He gives them to who He will. We are blessed so that all the nations would know who's in charge, who is the judge, and who has brought salvation. 
That's why you're blessed. That's one of the main things God wants to do through the blessings on our lives is so that all people would know. The connection from 1 to 2, verse 1 to verse 2, is that our blessings would lead to other people knowing the salvation of God. And from there, verse 3 tells us that that knowledge doesn't just stay in our heads. It changes our hearts. Verse 3 says, Let the nations praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And so that's why I say, point two in your bulletin, to know God is to worship God. Knowledge of God is never something that just stays in your head. It always transforms your heart. A Christian author and professor, Michael Reeves, wrote this, The living God is so wonderful that He is not truly known where He is not worshipped and heartily adored. If you do not worship God, it's because you don't know God. If you know God, you worship God. You can't help it. If you don't really know Him, then you could just have some information about Him. But if you really know Him, it will lead to worship. That is true for you, and it is true for all the nations of the earth. As we proclaim His salvation, as we proclaim His goodness and His grace and His mercy, and that He is the judge who judges with equity, and the one who is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men, as we proclaim that to the world, the way you know that really got it is that they praise Him that it leads to praise. This can be true to, in some degree to, with other things in our world. The more, you, the more you know something, the more you really appreciate it. I, I have swung a baseball bat many a times and missed a lot of really not great pitching even. So much so that when I see somebody blast a baseball with a wooden bat 400 feet, I'm just amazed by it, even though I've seen it plenty of times. Because I know that's really hard to do. If somebody's really good at golf and they are, or, you know, know something about golf and they see somebody hit a hole in one, they're like, wow. And they can't help but just applaud and clap for such a great thing. If you know just enough about theater to recognize all the things that have to go into everybody memorizing their lines and all the staging and all the costumes and getting everybody who's supposed to go and all the things. If you go see an incredible Broadway play, what do you do at the end? You can't help but, but stand and clap, giving a standing ovation praising, applauding, because you know how amazing that was. How much more is it with our Heavenly Father? As we see the glory that He has put on display in creation, as we see the majesty that He has displayed for all the world to see, as you see it, as you know Him, as you come to experience Him, you, you don't just go, oh, that's interesting, right? You applaud it. You worship it. You worship who God is. You worship Him for who He is. Do you know God? If you know Him, the way you know you know Him rightly is that it leads to worship. It leads to worship. It's almost inseparable. There's no, there's no I'm giving you an explanation, but the psalmist is just, just telling it to you, right? That your way may be known, let the peoples praise you. Just in the same breath, these things go together. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then here's what astounds me about God's design for worship. God, God's God. He could have designed this however He wanted. But how does that flow? It leads from, from worship to joy. It's a gift of joy. To worship God is our joy. Verse 3, let the peoples praise you, our God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be 
glad and sing for joy. God's God, He could have beaten us all into submission and say, serve me, do what I say or else. But He doesn't. He says, this is a gift of joy to you, the satisfaction you long for, what the nations really desire, what all peoples around the earth are actually groaning for in their hearts, the joy that we all long for, is found in worshiping God. That's where joy is found. When you worship Him, when you truly celebrate Him, when your hearts are drawn to applause, you find deep satisfaction and joy. Worshiping God is not ho-hum drudgery or painful submission. It's a pleasure. It's a delight. It's a satisfaction. To to worship the one true God in Jesus Christ is to to have experienced a new birth, to go from, from death to life. There is a joy, a delight that was not possible before. You were spiritually dead before Christ. Now you have life and have it to the fullest and you have it in Him, knowing Him personally, delighting in a relationship with the God of all the universe. But again, you cannot share what you do not have and you cannot give what you have not received. It is very hard to invite somebody to experience the joy of Christ if you do not yet know that joy. If for you, faith is a, is a drudgery, it is just doing what you're supposed to do because you're supposed to do it, it's going to be really hard to convince somebody that they should do that too. It's going to be hard to, to go to the ends of the earth and say, well, this is, uh, you know, kind of what I like to do sometimes. And uh, it's fun, I guess. Right? But if you can go to the ends of the earth or down the street and you can say, yeah, i gotta, I got to introduce you. To the, to the greatest that there is. I, I know God. He has saved me. He's transformed me. He has taken my sins and removed them. I am no longer shackled to my old desires. I have been set free. you got to meet Jesus. They might at least want to know a little more, right? To worship God is our joy. So I hope you can see this. Our delight, our satisfaction, our pleasure in knowing Him, that's what we want to share. And that's why you are blessed. You are blessed. Many of the, the, God's intentions in His kingdom, he, he pours out into one, into some, into a few, so that He can reach all. That's His, that's his intention. From, Abraham, or from Adam to Abraham, all the way through to David, to Solomon, to Jesus, and to you. He pours into some to reach all. Our blessings are for the nation's joy. Our blessings are for the nation's joy. We're blessed so that others may know Him. And if you know Him, you worship Him. And if you worship Him, you have joy. Our blessings, the nation's joy. That's the goal. That's God's intention. It's more blessed to give than receive. You, you get to delight in sharing this with other people. And the problem is, or the, the opportunity, we'll word it that way. The opportunity is, there's a whole lot of nations who do not yet have that joy. There are Billions of people around the world who do not yet have that joy. Ronnie Marmel, who was here last week, put some maps up on the, on the screen. I almost just stole his slides, but you, you can go back and watch his from last week if you need those. But uh, I did have his statistics, or a few, a few of his. Around 8 billion people in the world, around 3.4 billion of those have, are unreached with the gospel. He talked specifically about the, the 1040 window last week, which is kind of West Africa, across Asia, between 
10 degrees latitude north of the equator up to 40 degrees, so northern Africa over into the Middle East, around to China and the Pacific Rim. Some 96% some of the world's unreached people live there. In case these are kind of new language for you, i got a couple definitions if that's helpful. Unreached people, Joshua Project defines this way, less than or equal to 5% Christian and less than or equal to 2% evangelical. An unreached or least reached people group is a group of people where there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate number and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. Which is to say there's not, there's not a, a real sustainable, growing, multiplying group of Christians. That they, they, there are, there are no, there's no presence of the gospel yet among those people. A people group is, is, is any group of people that share a language, religion, you know, culture, uh, residence, area, class, whatever, that, that for, for evangelistic purposes, that they don't have to cross any barriers. Right? So there's just a whole group of people. That's a people group. And in the 1040 window, 96% of all those groups of people that don't know the gospel, they're there. So Ronnie's statistics last week were about, in that, in just in that one part of the world, 3.1 billion people with no access to the gospel. No access to the gospel. A missionary professor I had helped me, you know, numbers, they don't, they're kind of hard to get your mind around. So he helped me this way. Imagine the greatest revival in all of human history since, since the day of Pentecost, where, here's, here's the description of that revival. Every Christian tells every person they know who's not a Christian and every person they come in contact with in their daily lives and everybody they see on the street corners, everybody, they tell everybody about Jesus and 100% of them believe in Jesus. Imagine that. Every Christian all around the world tell everybody they know and all of them believe in Jesus. Do you know how many non-Christians there would still be? 3.1 billion. That's the definition of an unreached people group. They don't know anybody who knows Jesus. It's not just that they don't know Jesus. They don't know anybody who knows Jesus. And there are whole countries, whole regions, where you, they can't find access to the gospel even if they wanted. And we have the opportunity. We have opportunities to send missionaries, to send resources like never before. So that people all around the world are not beaten into submission or tricked or persuaded. That they can have joy. They can have the same joy you and I have of walking with Christ in a relationship. That's, that's part of the reason you and I are still here. If we had no mission here, then God would just save you and bring you to heaven. But you're still here and I'm still here. There must be something for us to do. We'll still delight in God up there. But we must have a mission. One of the missions is that all the nations would have joy, would have gladness, would have a reason to celebrate salvation because they would know a living God. Psalm 67, in its context, its time pre-cross, was, was asking for, pleading for their, their own hearts to be aligned with God's mission. They knew the promise of Abraham, that God had promised through Abraham all the nations would be blessed. And so Psalm 67 is praying this back to God, asking for that. And the purpose on this side of the cross is the same. Because Christ has now made a way for all nations like never before. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 talks about how Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by hanging on a tree. In verse 14 it says, in Galatians 3, that 
so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, which is the word for the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We are longing for our hearts to be aligned with Christ, with Christ's heart, so that all nations of the earth would know him. And maybe one more. So we, we pray that. We, we pray that. We plead. We pray this prayer back to God. God, may you be gracious to us so that all nations will be glad. Pray that. Another application for you would be, do you, do you see the way God has blessed you and just hoard it? Do you just hold on to your blessings for yourself? Are you putting them all in a cave? Or are you saying, let us be a concourse. Let us be sent out. Let what's been given to me be more than just for me. I will delight in it. I will enjoy it. I will thank my Heavenly Father for the blessings He's given me. And then we will live with open hands and saying, God, may you multiply it. May your blessings go forward. You all, you've all, if you're a parent, if you're anybody, you know the joy of giving a good gift. And we have the greatest gift. And there are billions who do not yet have that gift. Verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear Him. We've been spending our Wednesday nights on that word right there at the end. Fear. Do you, do you like that word? Not many people do. The fear of the Lord is pretty, pretty confusing and complicated. We've taken six weeks and I'm pretty sure I've just confused more people than I've helped so far on that word. But the, the book we're using, simple enough, the title is this, Rejoice and Tremble. That's a good, good summary for what the fear of the Lord is. So what we long for in our hearts, that we, for us and for all nations, is that let all the nations rejoice and tremble before God. We, we long for all nations to have a deep, deeply satisfying joy. And the place we have the deepest satisfaction is standing before God Almighty, a little weak in the knees, amazed at His grace, amazed at His power, amazed at His majesty. You are made, you, it is built into your DNA that we long to be just astounded with beauty. We love to stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon. We love to stand below the billions of stars on a clear night. We love to be just shaken by how amazing that is. Because God has created us to behold His glory. And the more you rejoice and tremble before God in the fear of the Lord, the more you want to share that with all nations. Psalm 112.1, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord who greatly delights in His commandments. That's what I long for for us and for the nations, that we would fear the Lord. We would rejoice before the Lord. We would tremble before Him. And the people on all corners of the globe would, be, would benefit from the ways that we know and celebrate and delight in God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the grace You have given us. Father, we, we confess that it's overwhelming what you've done for us it's overwhelming what you have the gifts you have given us and sometimes we just stand in awe of it and that's good and we're thankful for that and we also lord stand in awe of a task that seems insurmountable numbers and billions just seem overwhelming but we pray god that you would utilize us far beyond infinitely beyond what we could ever hope or imagine 
for the sake of your glory among all the nations. God, may the ways you have blessed us, may they be for the sake of the nations. God, may nations rejoice. May they be glad because of the ways you have blessed us and people like us with the good news of the gospel. Father, we confess there's so many ways. We, we hoard. We don't steward our, our resources well. And so, God, we pray for forgiveness. And we pray instead that you would utilize us for your kingdom and for your name's sake. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.